As I mentioned at the introduction and welcome, we're having Senior Sunday tonight, and for most of us, that is a part of the ritual, the routine, the the uh, rhythm, if you will, of the family life here. We take time to acknowledge those graduates of this coming year. Now, no offense to the class of 2019, we do that every year, <laughs> but there's a reason we do that. Because it's a milestone, because it's a moment of pause and reflection, not only about what you've accomplished and where you've been, but where you're going. And that's so important to do. Now, for most of us who will be here, I would say maybe 70% of us, we will go, we'll give you your cards, we'll maybe congratulate you, ask you about your future plans. We will uh, take time to uh, acknowledge you and, and to charge you and inspire you and, and pray for you. All of that is important and good to do. But there is, there is a, a group of people, your parents, maybe your grandparents, your family, and it's a bigger moment for them. It's a bigger deal for them, especially if you're the oldest child. You know, you're, 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 you're on the edge of the nest now. You're being put out your little wings, and, and you're going to fly, or you're going to fall. You'll probably do both. But they... As a parent, as a grandparent, as a guardian, as people who are invested in you succeeding, have, have gotten to this moment. Okay, what's next? Because now, so many more of the choices are in your hands. Well, how do we do that as parents? Well, well that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we prepare you for those moments? Most days, uh, my schedule goes something like this. I get up at 6 o'clock or thereabouts in the morning. I go through my morning routine, my, my time with God. I read my Bible. I focus on the things that need to be done that day. Uh, I'll eat a little breakfast about that time. My oldest son, Tyler, will get up. He starts going through his routine, getting ready for school. Uh, uh, then as we both get ready, we're about ready to leave. We have to leave the house between 7, 7.05. Um, Grace is then up and around. She's getting her breakfast. She's starting her day. And as we go through that routine of the day, Tyler and I then get in the car most days. Some days it's a little different. And we drive to school and we'll talk about what he's got ahead of him that day and, and, and the challenges maybe he's facing or the things he's going through. And, and we talk about that father-son. It's always been a very special time, the more of those father-son windshield time moments I have, the more I realize that the less of those I have left. In the beginning, as all parents do, with both Tyler and my daughter Grace, brought them home and we controlled everything, what you ate, what you drank, what you, how you dressed, uh, uh, your routine, all of that. But, but the older your children get, the, the more of that they get to decide, they get. And in the beginning, it's quite easy to control your child's environment. Uh, you, you don't want them to, to stick their hand in the outlet, so you, you put the little plugs in there so they don't do that. And, and uh, still yet, sometimes they find a way. Uh, you, you seek to maybe 
encourage them as they get older to be with certain friends who uh, seem to be of good character, good quality and all that. You're working as a parent. You have control over their environment. But you realize that that comes the day when you don't have as much control over their environment. You You can protect them. You can put everything into controlling their environment. But at some point, you lose control. I mean, you could have a 15-year-old, and you could still have all the, the baby-proofing items all over the house, but you haven't prepared that 15-year-old for life outside the house. You haven't prepared them for a non-baby-proof world, so, so you have to begin to train them. How do you train them for a world in which there's so many unknown variables? When they go to school. You have very little control over the kids that sit next to him, the people that they have lunch with, the teachers that they're going to interact with. I mean, I'm talking about grade school, high school, college, all the way through. Uh, There's no control over that. So what do you do? You pray, you prepare, you do the best that you can. One thing that I've gotten from a number of wise parents is this. I've stopped focusing as much on the externals. And I work more on the internals. The externals, you have the illusion of control. You can control their environment. You can control their friends, maybe. You can control what they wear. That works for a time until you reach a point like we're going to have tonight where you cease to have control. But if you work on the internals, if you speak to the heart, if you shepherd the child from within, ah, then you're at school with your child even when you're not there. We do that in a number of ways. I'll share with you one. As we pull up to the school, uh, when I drop Tyler off, the very last thing that I ask him before he shuts the door is, who are you? And he knows now, I'm a levering, I'm dad's son, I'm Tyler. You know, he kind of says it almost with that eye roll um, because he's said it so many times times. But I need him to remember on the inside who he is so that when the outside changes, he doesn't forget who he is. I don't take graces to school as much. It usually uh, maybe maybe one day a week, but um, we have a nightly routine when I put her to bed. And she has this bed and I'll pull up her chair and we'll talk about the day and I'll sit right next to her Right about, right about this level, in fact. And I'll say, Grace, who are you? And she tells me, because she, I've trained her, well, I'm Grace. I'm pretty. I'm smart. I'm compassionate. I work hard. I do my best. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a young lady. She knows those things. But see, Christy and I are working on the inside because we know there's going to come a time when we can't control the outside. I tell that story from personal experience not to make myself the hero of the story. There are many parents who constantly do that, consistently do that. In fact, I gained this idea from a video that I saw just watching a good dad work on the inside of his daughter. Let's watch that video. Say, I am strong. I am strong. Say, I am smart. I am smart. 
I work hard. I work hard. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am respectful. I am respectful. Yeah. Say, I'm not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. Nobody's better than me. No one's better than me. I am amazing. I am amazing. I am great. I am great. What's your name? Aaliyah Austin. If you fall? I get back up. What are you? I'm last. Yes. Say thank you, God. Thank you, God. For making me. For making me. Now, he has a whole routine there that he goes through, and clearly she knows it. Little girl, three, four years old. What's he doing? What's that good dad doing? He's working on the inside. You say, she's only three or four years old. She doesn't have that much to be worried about. No, nah, she's, he's wise. He's thinking farther ahead. He, he's looking to the horizon to a point, not where she's three or four, but when she's 13 or 14 or 23 or 24 or 33 or 34. He needs a voice inside of her reminding her of who she is. See, he's preparing his little girl to be a woman of God tomorrow. That's good. That's exactly, by the way, what God does with us. You think, well, that just sounds like just a lot of self-esteem, modern psychology, feel-good, fluff stuff. Now listen, this is a very godly thing. Don't think so? Turn to Matthew chapter 3 if you're in one of these pew Bibles. By the way, guess, if you're a guest here, you don't have one of these. That one that you take is yours. We want you to have that. We know that you'll be blessed by studying God's Word. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Or page 1037. Now, the, the context of it is this way. John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus preparing to enter public ministry. He's going to be baptized. And in that moment, something happens. And then after that moment, something else happens. Now, the story of the baptism, and I'm not going to read in it entirely. But when he comes up out of the water... When he comes up, there's this beautiful moment in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice coming from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I've always just kind of read through that verse, but, but, it, but it occurred to me that, that God, why did God do that? I mean, I mean, maybe it was for the benefit of those hearing, certainly to understand who Jesus was, that's important. But I think even deeper than that, God understood what, what his own son stepping into the flesh was going to spend the next three years doing. The challenges he would face, the obstacles, the trials, the tribulations. No doubt he would face many, many difficulties. The scriptures say he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are. In fact, here, just in chapter 4, the title of that probably in your Bible says, The Temptation of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? God knows he's going to be tempted by that his own son is going to be tempted by that ancient foe, by that ancient dragon who's been around since the beginning. And how does God prepare his son for the challenges he's going to face? He says, listen, you're my son. And I love 
I got to think that there was a reason that God did that, because just as the example of the father that we saw, although to an infinitely greater degree, God is a good father, and he knows what his son needed to prepare for the obstacles, for the trials, the tribulations, and the tests that he faced. And when you read through the Gospels, by the way, if you're not joining us on Sunday night, feel free to do so. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. And when you go through any of the Gospels, it's absolutely clear that Jesus had no doubt who he was. He was from heaven. He was from the Father. He was an authority. He was the only way to the Father. Jesus had no doubt that he was the Son of God, the mediator between God and man, able to forgive sins, able to heal the physical maladies of the body and the spiritual sickness of the soul. See, Jesus understood who he was because his Father didn't fail to remind him. In the same way, your Heavenly Father needs all of you to remember who you are. Now, as Don read the, the scripture, we're going to be in one scripture this morning, and if you're following along in your Bible, it's on page 1, 2, 3, 4. Just go to page 1, 2, 3, 4, or turn to 1 Corinthians 16, you'll get to the same place, and we think about this scripture that was written to a church that had a lot of problems. I mean, they put the fun in dysfunction, this group. And the, the, the church at Corinth was a, a uh, whoo, they were a mess. They were a hot mess. Uh, they had division. They had immorality like you haven't seen when you've gone to church. Okay, they didn't even pretend. Uh, they didn't even try to put on a brave face. They had sin and disorder and spiritual immaturity. They had all sorts of problems how did the Apostle Paul deal with that? Well, oh, you read the whole letter to, to see how he dealt with that. But, but if I were to boil it all down, this is really simplifying it. The Apostle Paul dealt with the externals by focusing on the internals. We read together 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong and do everything in love. He ends this letter by reminding them of who they are. Uh, the first part, we're just going to take this you know, tech, uh, word by word here. Uh, the, the first part of this is a warning. Be on guard. It reminds us that we are prey. That you, are, you and I, in Christ, are spiritual prey. I think I've told you this before, but if you don't know, pull back the curtain just a little bit. When someone is baptized, they respond Sunday morning or Sunday night, and they say they'd like to, to become a Christian, so they do that by confessing his name and putting him on in baptism. You see that part. But what happens is we say, okay, we'll head back. And when we go back there, uh, what happens is the person changes their clothes and I get ready, or whoever's doing the baptizing puts on the, 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 the waiters, if you will, and they, they unlock the door, they get the towels ready. But there's a couple of guys who are always helping with that. Rob Dobbs is one, Raymond Williams is another, and they're consistently going back there to help, and they help with sort of the, just the things that need to happen, and we really appreciate that. 
We'll go in, we'll go up, baptize them. They're a new brother or sister in Christ. They come out of the water, they're wet, they're, 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 they're excited. They're going to get hugged more probably than they've ever been hugged in a single day. But before, before they come back out, there's, there's one thing that happens, and that is typically Ray or Rob or, or uh, maybe it's another person will back there, we'll, we'll pray together. But if Ray or Rob are back there, they will pray a prayer, and I've heard it enough times that I know exactly what they're doing. And they'll pray something along the lines of this, Father in heaven, we are rejoicing in the victory that this person received today through Jesus Christ, but we are praying with them and for them because we know that while you and the angels in heaven rejoice, that Satan is his angels are not rejoicing. They are very angry and upset because they lost one today. And so we know they're going to be a high-value target this week. We know they're in the crosshairs. We know that the enemy is going to be working against them. And so we just want to pray for them to be strong. We pray that they'll meet with the church. We pray that they'll grow in their knowledge of the Word. And it's just a wonderful reminder that they are in a spiritual warfare. If you if you have any interest in turning in your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 5 through 8. If he could help with the baptism, Peter probably would have prayed something similar to what Rob and Ray prayed. First Peter chapter 5, page 1298. The Apostle Peter says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Paul said, be on your guard. Peter said, be sober-minded. The translations might say, stay alert, stay, stay, stay alert, be awake, be vigilant, pay attention. That's what he's saying. This is sometimes like, you know, kind of what you kind of do, you know, messing with the phone, you're looking over here, when's the next story, how much longer are you, you're doing all those things, and you're failing, to, you're missing, you're missing the idea, the understanding that we, that you and I are high value targets, we got to pay attention, we got to be on our guard, why? Because it's real. That means we have to pay attention to what you let in your heart. You have to be diligent in what you choose to believe. You have to pay attention. Oh, pay attention, please. The people that you associate with, pay attention to where you're going in your life. Pay attention to who you let into your heart, who you have, who lets have a say into who you are. See, see, you and I, we, we get to a point where we often forget what's happening and that there, there's an enemy. And sometimes we even get... To, to battling with one another, and, and we forget what these gazelles learned the hard way. Let's look at that. It's two gazelles, and they're locked up. They're, they're battling. They're battling with each other. They, they, I don't know, probably one didn't invite the other to a birthday party or something, and they're going at it, you know. They're mad, they're miffed, and then finally they get the opportunity, they're just, you know, going to blows. But what, but what they don't see, because what they were focused on each other, is that there's something coming, that there's some, something sneaking up behind them. And the other gazelles, they see it and they flee, but they don't get it. And all of a sudden, the enemy, the enemy takes them out. Do you understand what Peter's saying when he says, pay attention? Because your enemy prowls like a roaring lion seeking who to devour. The easiest prey are those who aren't paying attention. So because we are prey, may we pray, P-R-A-Y, 
and may we pay attention. We have a challenge then. The second challenge is to be bold. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 goes on. Be courageous. Be strong. Now, this is something that I think that the church, we need to be reminded of every now and again. First uh, John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Sometimes we watch a video about a lion tagging a couple of gazelles. We get a little fearful, get a little anxious. And, and I mean, and, 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 and Christians kind of get that within our DNA. I, I know people mean well, okay? Uh, but, but I've, I've, I've heard people and they say, Lord, please, Watch over us. Please protect us, Father. Give us a country that, that, that continues to support us. Give us leaders who, who, who don't make laws against us. Father, protect us from persecution. Father, be with us and, and just give us safety. And, 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 and we hear the word safety and protection. Don't misunderstand, please. Please don't misunderstand. What you're asking for there is a defensive position. What you're asking for is God to protect and just baby-proof your entire walk. Father, make it easy, make it blessed, make it smooth sailing all the way. And i got to just remind you that God never, ever promised that. But He did promise that if you're with Him, He's with you. And if He's with you, Whatever you faced last week, whatever you're facing this week, whatever you're facing all year long or all throughout your life, if you're with Him, He is with you. And if He's with you, you have nothing to fear. So, so maybe church should start acting like it. God's children in Christ often forget who they are because they forget Whose they are. A couple of real quick verses. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12. Pull, pulling it right out of context, but just giving you a, uh, a sense of, again, this boldness that we are to have. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12. In Him we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Did you, did you hear that? With boldness. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for safety and protection and all of that, but and that's, that's not bad. It's just not bold. When you begin to understand that God's with you, you begin to, to stop going on defense all the time. And still begin to going on offense. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, if you're following along, the writer of Hebrews says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I mean, you think about it. We, we have a lot of it tied up into who's going to win the election and who's in charge at work and who's the people my kids are going to be with at the school. Hebrew writer says, if God's with you, what, what, what are you afraid of exactly? What can they do to you, my chosen, my beloved children? We think about this from two biblical examples. The first is the story of Esau. Esau, firstborn child, he had the right to the blessing. 
He had the right to half the inheritance and more, and yet he gave it up for a single meal. You know why? Because he forgot who he was. David, unexperienced, not a warrior, didn't even have the physique to put on the armor when he sees a nine-foot-tall giant. He's not, Lord, give me protection in this battle. You know what he's doing? He is running with a sling. He is running to the giant. Why? Because he didn't forget who he was. It's this totally different mentality when we know whose we are. It allows us to be bold. The early church. The early church example. I love this. Acts chapter 4, if you're following along, and I hope that you are. Acts chapter 4 is the story of going through. Peter and John had been through some uh, tough things. They were being persecuted. And in response to that persecution, the church responded. And I'm going to give you the whole thing. You can read through it if you get bored with the rest of the message. But it is truly amazing what the church did and how they responded. This is their prayer that they prayed. Uh, I'm midway through, okay? Verse 29. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and protect them and keep them safe. And don't let anything more bad happen to them, Father. No, that's not what it says. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with great boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, oh, I love this. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? I mean, the church there says, Father, pray for Peter and John. We pray that you give them great boldness. God answers their prayer and allows them to double down. And then they're not just praying for them to have boldness, but God empowers the church to then leave and to continue to speak the message with great boldness. Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of church I want us to be. Not to be a church that's always on defense, always asking for safety and protection, but asking God for boldness and courage to do what we need to do in the way that we need to do it. May we not forget that we belong to God, we are His, and as such, may we act like it. May we not forget whose we are. And His, as His precious possession, we need to remember one last thing, and this is it. You are loved. So be loving. You see, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, a scripture that's well known, says, we love because he first loved us. I didn't get it. I, I, I just didn't get it. I, I had been trained as a youth minister. I, I knew the theology. I, I knew the things I wanted the kids to learn. I was speaking to the head. But something wasn't clicking as a young youth minister. And then, and then, and then it changed. It, it clicked. I got it. I, I read First John 4, 19, 
And I, and I began to do this with the teenagers, and I tried to practice it still today. I would remind them again and again and again that you are loved. Because, because people who feel unloved act unloving. And sometimes we forget that, that somebody's story, man, they've been abused, they, they've been put down, they, they've, been taught, they've been through so much of a story where they had no love, they heard no love, they experienced no love, they saw no love being shown, they felt no love. I needed to remind them and all of us that you're loved, that God loves you. And, and when that impacts our heart, that changes our hands, it changes our lives. So when we when we know that, then it begins to overflow from us. You see, you can do all the right things. First Corinthians 13 speaks to that. If I speak the tongue of men and of angels, if I have prophetic powers, knowledge, and faith, if I, if I give away, if I give away everything I have, but I have not love, I've missed the point. And then he says, if I have not love, I am nothing. I gained nothing. See, I was, I was thinking about it like this. Let me pick on one of our graduates, the male from the class of 2019, Neil Estes. Come on up. One last time, let me pick on you, sir. You see, Neil comes every week, and he, just to be quite honest, come up here. He's just uh, first or second step. You know, he comes, and he's just empty, okay? He, he's, he's empty emotionally. You got a girlfriend? He's empty relationally. <laughs> he's struggling, you know. He comes empty, but, but it's easy to hide. He looks good. He's got a nice smile. He, he seems got his life put together. He's going places and all of that. But, but there's something on the inside. Now, what happens when we come to worship, when he learns the, the Word of God, when he hears it preached and taught in the Bible class and the teen class, when he... Why are you so nervous, man? <laughs> he hears that, he, he prays, he sings, he's with the youth group, he's encouraging, he's being encouraged. What's happening in that moment is he is being filled. God is pouring into Neil's heart, okay? Now, we understand that. That's not just true for Neil. That's why we come to church. We we're taught, we're encouraged, we pray together, we, we get a lot of good things. And maybe when you, after you meet with the church on Sunday, you feel, you might be exhausted many other ways, but you're filled spiritually. The problem is we stop there. The problem is we think, well, it's all about us. It, it's, just, it's just about me being filled. I hope the sermon's good. Boy, I hope Brent picks some songs that I like. Uh, you know, I really hope that I get what I need this week. But see, see, when, when God fills us, when he pours his love into us, as God always does, when he gives us something, he expects us to do something with it. And so the three of you I gave a cup to, just come up here for a second. Now, now, Neil's going to meet these, these, these are, of course, our own teenagers, Grant and Isabel and Addison, but, but they represent the people in Neil's life that Neil's going to meet this week. Now, Neil has a choice in this moment, okay? He can choose to keep all of this stuff for himself, 
Or he can do what 1 John 4.19 says. We love because he first loved us. You see, when he pours himself into us, the responsibility that he gives us is to share that with others. And so as Neil goes through his week and he meets Addison, and Addison, she's having a hard time, and she won't say anything, but she's, she's really struggling with some anxiety. And, and Neil just, he smiles, he takes time, he listens to what she's going through, and, and he shares with her that she is loved and that God loves her. Go ahead. And what happens is he... All right. So then he meets Isabel. Isabel is a kid who's by his uh, locker. They share lockers together. They exchange a few pleasantries just every day. But but he realizes that Isabel, she's lost someone in her family recently that she was very close to. And, and it's really made her depressed. And And she realizes that Neil encourages her and reminds her that she's loved. And then he goes out to uh, baseball practice, this, this illustration here, okay? And one of his uh, fellow teammates, Grant, uh, he's struggling. He, he's not doing very well this year. He may not make the team. And Neil pours into him to remind him that there's more to life than making the team. Now, come back over here, Neil. This is Neil and one example of three people that he had the choice to pour into their lives. If we can multiply that by 700, we begin to do what Jesus called the church to do. To pour ourselves out of ourselves what's been poured into us. See, God did not extend to you His love and joy, His Holy Spirit, His Word, the promises. He didn't pour that just for you. He poured that that you might pour it into all those who are not here. And if you're not pouring into the people around you, you're just hogging it for yourself. The right question to ask might be, what's wrong with this pitcher? What is the reason that I'm holding on instead of giving out? Instead of holding it for myself, instead of sharing with others, what God has poured into me. Now, you all can put your cups there gently on the table. Thank you guys for helping. May we not forget, have a seat, that we are loved, but it doesn't just stop here. That we have a responsibility to pour into everyone else that we meet this week. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that's why God has the people that He has in your lives. We have a responsibility to do everything in love. Your neighbors, your family members, that coworker you just had it up to here. But maybe there's a reason God will have you bump into them tomorrow. Because they need to be reminded that God loves them. It's important to remember who you are. So may we not forget who we are and whose we are. May we remember this week that it begins with knowing who we are, begins with knowing who He is. And if you don't know who He is this morning, 
I want to tell you what the Bible tells us, that God so loved you and I that he gave his only son. And when you crack up the entire message of the Bible, what you find is that it's all about him. And when we understand that God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God, verse 17, did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. You and I are loved. We've got to begin by beginning to receive that love by doing what he said to do. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Here's what he said. You want to you believe in Jesus? You want to put him on in baptism? You want to begin that journey? That can begin today. If you're ready to do that. If you love him, he surely wants to love you. And if you're in Christ, don't forget we have a responsibility to be poured out, to overflow with the love that he's poured into us. This morning, if you've forgotten who you are, if you need to be reminded, if you've gotten stuck in sin, if you, if you are, are struggling with something and you, you want us to help you, you need to repent or you need to turn away or you need our prayers, please come. And if you're ready to begin that journey with Jesus this morning to follow him, well, we want to help you do that too. Whatever need you might have this morning, if you have one, our shepherds will be down front. Please come as together we stand and sing.